We're going to turn to uh, 1 Samuel 13. Maybe you've already found your place there. Let's go ahead and stand in honor of God's word here tonight. 1 Samuel chapter number 13. <clears throat> and we'll begin our reading here tonight in verse number 13, just to catch a little bit of the context from the last time we were in 1 Samuel. <clears throat> 1 Samuel 13 and verse 13. And then we're going to read a little bit from chapter 14 and then I'll explain how the message is going to shape up here as we get into it. And Samuel said to Saul in verse 13, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him, pardon me, a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Notice verse 15. And Samuel arose and got him up from Gilgal unto Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about 600 men. That's down quite a bit from what it used to be. It's down to 600. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people that were present with him abode in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned into the way that leadeth to Ophrah, unto the land of Shul, which is to the north, by the way. Another company turned by the way of Beth Horon, to the west. And another company turned as it, uh, to the way of the border that looked unto the valley of Zeboim, which is to the east, toward the wilderness. So they're surrounded. You sense it? They're outnumbered. They're surrounded. Now, there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter, his axe, his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and Jonathan, his son, was there found. The garrison of the Philistines went out of the, to the passage of Michmash. Let's keep reading chapter 14. Now it came to pass... Upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, I, I love this right here, come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side, but he told not his father. And Saul tarried. Jonathan said, let's go, but Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli. Remember him? The Lord's priest in Shiloh wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And so then it describes the, the battle scene. We'll get into that, God willing, the next time we're in 
Uh, but I do want you to look at verse number six. And Jonathan said to the young man that bear his armor, come and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Watch this. For there's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. So here are two men ready to take on 20. I love it. I love it. All right. So then they're victorious in battle. Verse 15, there's a trembling in the host. There's an earthquake. God causes the earthquake. The people are on the run. Saul says to Ahiah, take, bring the ark of God. And then it all continues on. Verse 23, the Lord saved Israel that day. And the men were distressed. So there was victory, but they were distressed. Why? Because Saul had adjured the people saying, cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening. Here they are in battle and really they need calories. They need fuel. And yet Saul says, uh, I want you to fast as we go into battle. Sounds spiritual, but he's off. He's off. Okay, while you're still standing, I realize um, a little bit lengthy reading here, I guess, in many ways, but verse uh, 30 uh, Jonathan ate, he ate a honey energy bar. <laughs> he dipped his rod in the honey that was there in the woods. Not necessarily an energy bar, but that's what it turned out to be. And his eyes were lightened. Man, he was ready to go again. All fired up. And so Saul's, I mean, he's going to kill anybody that does that, including his own son. That's what he's ready to do. And so the people told Jonathan, what happened? And, he, and, and Jonathan said in verse 29, I'm sorry, he said, my father hath troubled the land. Look, look at verse 30. How much more? He says, my eyes have been enlightened by this little honey. How much more if happily the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found? For there had not been much, had, I'm sorry, for had, had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? I mean, really, we could have really whooped them. That was the spirit of Jonathan. And then you go on and read and the people fly up on the spoil and they don't even take time to drain the blood. They eat the blood. It's against the law. So here's the title of the message here tonight. We're going to get right to it. You are wasting more potential than just your own. You're wasting more. Let me say it right here. I've got it written this way. Let me read it like it is. You're wasting more than just your own potential. You're wasting more than just, if you're wasting potential, if you're wasting potential, you're wasting more than just your own potential. I believe we're supposed to take heed to a passage like this and really apply it to our lives. I believe it'll be a help to us. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Let's, let's give it some thought here tonight. <clears throat> The word uh, potential, just think about it, comes from the word potent, uh, potentate, omnipotent, Latin-based word, potent, potential. It means uh, power, ability. As you look it up, uh, I did in a dictionary, a latent excellence or ability, listen, that may or may not be developed. It's a power or an ability, an excellence, that may or may not be developed. We typically think about a person who wasted their potential. And I, I would imagine you could, 
You could think of some. In fact, um, probably all of us would recognize I, I've been there, you know, wasting my own potential. Uh, but just think about the number of athletes that have thrown away, I mean to tell you, thrown away their potential because they didn't have character enough to stay away from drugs and alcohol. Bad character. <clears throat> In 1998, there were two individuals that were on everybody's list to be the top uh, draft pick, first draft pick in the NFL draft. Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning. Now, probably most of you would know the name better, Peyton Manning. How many of you know the name Peyton Manning? All right, how many of you know the name Ryan Leaf? Okay, that's, uh, mostly men just raised their hand right there. Yeah. Ryan Leaf. In a lot of ways, some say Ryan Leaf had greater potential than Peyton Manning. I, you know, I mean, that's, that's an argument I don't want to get into even on a Super Bowl night. I'm just saying that, I mean, both of them have incredible potential um, in this draft pick. Well, in the NFL Combine, as uh, Ryan Leaf showed up, listen to this, he showed up overweight. And he showed up talking about his partying that went on in Vegas. Peyton Manning said this, if you don't draft me, I'll make you regret that you didn't. <laughs> Anyways, I just thought I'd enjoy that by myself, but <laughs> here's what happened. Let me just, let me just kind of get cut to it here. Um, the Colts drafted Peyton Manning primarily because of this character. In fact, Tony Dungy has uh, a, a code. They, sometimes he will label it this way. Do not draft because of character. I think it's D-N-D-C. It's short for do not draft because of character. This man's not worthy. Not, not, if we bring him onto our team, he may be incredibly talented. In fact, if you read the book Uncommon, which is a good book, brother, that, yeah, brother Tony Dungy, absolutely. Tony Dungy wrote and and he said, there's so many young men that come into the NFL and they have great talent, great potential, but they don't know how to be a man. They don't have character. And he saw it firsthand. And so they drafted Peyton Manning over Ryan Leaf. The San Diego Chargers drafted Ryan Leaf two years after several interceptions and things just went downhill. The character was spiraling out of control. Others picked him up. He went eventually into into uh, being arrested. I mean, it's really a very sad story about Ryan Leaf. Wasted potential. Can we add to that list doctors and lawyers and preachers, pastors who had a great opportunity and potential Great ability to speak. I'm, I'm thinking of an individual right now. I mean, in, in, in all the preachers I've heard, I mean, one of the, one of the most dynamic preachers and, and yet fell into immorality, wasted potential. Teachers and politicians and on and on we could go. But I, I think what we're supposed to get here tonight is, is this. When you waste potential... You're not just wasting your own potential. You're wasting the potential of those that are under your leadership. And that ought to, I, I'm just saying that because the text is bearing it out. And at minimum, we ought to take heed to that. 
And it ought to be corrective, perhaps, to some. And, and if there's some here tonight that would, I mean, you've got, you've got guilt in your mind. You've got hurt in your mind. You've got disappointment. Hey, listen, I know and you know there's nothing you can do about changing your past. But thank God sincerely tonight that the blood of Jesus Christ does cleanse us from all sin. And your past does not have to define who you are today. And you may have wasted some years and you may have lost some potential. But listen, that doesn't have to mean at this time that your life is over and you don't matter and what's ahead isn't significant. No, my friend, listen, the key is this. If you have been disobedient to God's will, then repent, get right with God and watch God still do something in your life. See? Okay. But here was Saul's problem. Yes, he had disobeyed God and yes, he had done wrong, but, but evidently the man didn't repent. And so it wasn't just his disobedience that lost his potential, but it was also this, his, are you listening to this tonight? If you do, I think it'll help us everyone. It was not only his disobedience, but it was this, his lack of repentance that, that led to his loss of potential and also affected, here's what's so sad, and I think it really ought to affect every one of us, that it also limited the potential of those under his leadership. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yes, sir. You say, well, what are you talking about? Israel was at a time when they greatly needed a leader, a godly leader. Would you agree with that? I mean, here they are, they're surrounded. Uh, the, the Philistine army is, is like the sand that's on the seashore. I mean, they were innumerable and in all the chariots. And I mean, they were at a time when they desperately needed, they desperately needed uh, Saul to be a spiritual leader. And he had a great start in many ways, but just because you have a good start does not mean that you're going to have a strong finish. And so Saul uh, is, is disobeying the Lord because Samuel in his well, you remember the last message? It's, everybody fault, it's everybody's fault but my own. And it's the people's fault. And it's Samuel, it's your fault because you were supposed to show up and you didn't show up. And, and the Philistines and all this. And so I had to do it. I forced myself. That's what Samuel, I'm sorry, Saul said. I forced myself and I, I, I did what God said not to do, but he rationalized it. And it cost him dearly. I, I want to warn you tonight that even just one wrong decision can cost you dearly. Just one wrong decision. I, you say, well, that's not fair. Welcome to life. Isn't that right? I'm not, I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just trying to say, listen, this is, this is not a video game where you get to push restart. You know, every now and then when things were going bad as I was playing the old school Nintendo and Mario just wasn't doing this great, I just push restart and start that thing over. But that didn't work that way. Oh, come on, I just dated myself right there, right? Life doesn't work that way. I'm thankful that God gives us another opportunity and so forth, but I'm just simply saying even just one wrong decision, one wrong decision could cost you dearly. And it did, it did that in Saul's life. And they were at a time when they greatly needed a leader to step up and to lead them and to guide them. And, and they're surrounded by the enemy. I mean, to the north, to the south, uh, to the east, to the west. I mean, really, they're surrounded by the enemy. They're outnumbered. And this, they're, not only are they surrounded and outnumbered, but also this, they are disarmed. There's no smiths in the land. There, there's no one that's making weapons on the side of Israel. All the weapons 
Hang on, wait just a minute. Technology was on the side of the enemies of God. Can I, can I just say tonight, I'm going to throw a few things in here that's just kind of extra. The enemy is using technology against the people of God even today. And there they were then, and they are disarmed. In 1959, Fidel Castro uh, disarmed the people of Cuba. He confiscated their handguns, he confiscated their rifles, and he, he led that revolt so that the people of Cuba could not protect themselves against their own government. Hey, friend, listen, we better, be, we better be concerned about the confiscation of firearms. That was extra, but it's in the word. They disarmed Israel. So now the only ones that even have a sword, I mean, who has a sword? I mean, the rest of them just have plowshares and farming implements and such. And so the only ones that have a sword are Jonathan and, and, and his father Saul. And so here they are, they're surrounded, they're outnumbered and they're disarmed and they need a leader. They need a word from God. I'll tell you one of the saddest verses I studied this week and getting ready for this message is verse number 15, where Samuel walked away. I noticed that he didn't say the word of the Lord comes to you, Saul saying, no, he'd already given him a word from the Lord, but there was no other instructions. He walked away. Wait a minute. Hang on. Here's what's happening. Saul wanted to act on his own. And so now he was on his own. I mean, he wanted to act on his own and now he was on his own. The silence of God is deafening. When you've known what God has said to do and you don't do it and you've acted on your own and there's no repentance, so now there's no additional guidance from God. I just, I just thought it was sad. Maybe Saul was sitting there, you know, eventually he's going to be under a pomegranate tree and he just sees Samuel walking off. The man of God. He's sitting under a pomegranate tree. Jonathan's over here concocting a plan to go up and fight against 20 of the Philistines. What a contrast. What a contrast. We're going to get back to Saul in here just a minute. But and in fact, here's, here's how the message is going to work tonight. Not going to be real long about it, but just going to try to help, help us all tonight to see this, that, that uh, we're going to focus on Saul and then we'll come back to Jonathan in another message. We're going to, we're going to jump around. Okay, you all right? So, but the thing, the, the highlight in the chapter 14 is on Jonathan. And he says to his armor bearer, let's go up because it may be that God will work for us. And there's no restraint to God. There's no restraint to the Lord. I mean to tell you, I mean, these were, these were two young men that were zealous. There's no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Let's go get them. They didn't tell his dad. Why, why didn't he tell his dad? Well, probably his dad would have squashed it. I don't know. He had to work around. You know, it'd be sad for your young person to have to work around you when it comes to trusting God. It ought to be that they ought to look at mom and dad and aunt and uncle and, and granddad, grandma and be able to get guidance there. But some of the young people may have to kind of work around you to do what's right in God's eyes. How are we doing so far? Um, he said, there's no restraint. And I, I, I love it. We'll, we'll come to it. I want to preach it right now, but I'm not going to do it. But the thing I think we're supposed to see is this. Jonathan had incredible, natural-born, God-given leadership ability. 
that would never come to fruition. I'll be honest with you, I hadn't really thought about that. But that's what the chapter is highlighting. He had incredible potential that would never be realized. And it wasn't his own fault. And you know what I love about Jonathan? He, He didn't cry about it. He didn't get bitter about it. He didn't get upset about it. He, Jonathan remained a friend to David, the loyalty there. I'm looking forward to getting into the life of David and Jonathan and, and seeing the loyalty that was there. But, but I think the chapter is highlighting for us so that we would take heed. Jonathan had great potential, but, but it was limited by his own dad. I wonder whose potential you might be limiting In fact, in many ways, it's like Saul was pulling Jonathan down with himself. Now, I don't want this to be a negative sermon. I really don't. I don't want it to be a discouraging sermon. But if it gets to be convicting, then that's on. Because we need to be convicted where we, where we are failing to recognize that you as a leader, you, as, you say, well, I'm not a leader. I, I listen, on the way back home this past week, I listened to Brother Andrew Albert's message as he talked about the burden of leadership. Fantastic message. If you miss it, you need to listen to it because dads, listen, a lot of this, the burden of leadership is on you. It's on us. I mean, we, we need to be the leaders that God wants us to be. And if we're not, you're limiting your own kid's potential. And I realize the grace of God and I realize that God can take somebody even that has a very messed up home and can use them greatly. That's to God's glory. That's to God's honor. But listen, why, why tonight would you have action in your life that in any way or any wise would in some, in some way limit the potential of your own kids? Boy, that's something to think about. It's not something pleasant to think about. It's not something fun to think about. It's not something that maybe many are thinking about, but I think tonight we ought to think about it. And then you add to that, the whole nation was limited by Saul's actions. The whole nation was because here he is saying to them, now I don't want you to eat anything. I, I want you to go into battle. We're, we're going to do this. And, and let, let me get back, let me back up here just a minute. Ahiah, Ahiah was the, the uh, son of Phinehas, who was a womanizer, who was abusing his power as a priest. Remember this? Ichabod's uh, brother here, Phinehas' son, the son of Eli. Hang on, wait, what, what is, why is that in there? Well, Samuel, sorry, hang on, there's too many S names. Saul was sitting there under the pomegranate tree and he didn't have Samuel anymore, so he found a substitute. And he got Ahiah, who had the ephod. The ephod was used in distressing situations at times to find the direction of God. What did Saul need right there? Well, he needed direction from God and he wasn't hearing from Samuel anymore. In fact, eventually Saul is going to turn to a witch. Because, hang on, because when there's a vacuum in your life and you've got, you've got wrong out of God's will and you're not right with, with the, the, the man of God or the preacher or the teacher and, and you're bitter towards them or you've done wrong and you've not repented, then, then you know, hang on just a minute, you know that you need some spiritual guidance in your life. And when Samuel's out of your life, you might look for him in a higher. That's right. And that's what he did. And um, they hear a rumbling. The earth shook. They see a, maybe a cloud of dust coming as these Philistines are hightailing it out of there. And they've been 
defeated. And, and here's, what, here's what Saul did. He said, what's going on? Here's the leader that's supposed to know what's going on. And he said, wait a minute, what's going on? Who's not here? Number of the soldiers. 598, sir. Who's missing? Your son. And his armor bearer. Bring the ark. You know, um, Hophni and Phinehas tried that one. Didn't work out so swell for them. Carnal leaders don't learn from the past. Um, bring the ark real quick. Get the ephod. We got to figure out what God wants us to do here. By the way, actually, he already had his marching orders. He was supposed to fight the Philistines. It's real easy. He didn't even have to seek God's will about this. But here he is trying to act spiritual when really he was not. And Saul uh, says, this is unprecedented. He says to the, to the priest as he's doing his sacrifice and such, he says, withhold thy hand. That's in chapter number 14 as well. He says, withhold thy hand. In other words, stop the proceedings. We got to fight. We, we don't necessarily have time to get God in this. He said, withhold thy hand. We got to go. And Saul musters the people together and they fight and, and, uh, and God gives them a victory. And then that comes to the scene where he's told them that they're not to eat anything until the battle's over, until the evening uh, sacrifice. And so they are depleted in their strength. They have no energy. Jonathan obviously was not with them at the time that he gave that instruction. So then he comes back. And so while they're going through the woods, there's, there's places where there's honey uh, there in the ground. And he dips his rod there and takes just a little bit of bite of that energizing honey. And man, he's fired up for more. And that's where it's revealed to Jonathan that your father said that anybody that eats is going to die. And Jonathan says this, my father has troubled the land. Isn't this sad that the person who's supposed to be helping the land has actually turned out to be a trouble to the land. The word is the same word that's used in Joshua chapter 7 about Achan and how that he troubled the land. And then Jonathan said this, it's very interesting. This is all about potential, okay? It's all about potential because he says, if, if more of God's people had eaten, then more would be done. There, we've lost potential here because of bad leadership. And on top of that, the people, once they do get to the spoils, they rush in and they kill the animals and do not allow the blood to drain like they were supposed to by the word of God. Because listen, when a man is supposed to be providing spiritual leadership, does not provide the spiritual leadership, those under his leadership are now in a place of potential compromise. Right. And that's what happened. They compromised. They did wrong by eating of the blood, which God commanded that they should not. Here's what I'm trying to say tonight. Saul's disobedience and his lack of repentance limited the potential of the people that were under his leadership. And the same can be true for every one of us here tonight that disobedience, would you please listen to this here just a minute. We, we've, got to, we've got to go right here. This is so important. Disobedience and a lack of repentance will limit the potential, not just your potential, but the potential of those that are under your care. Or those that are influenced by your life. Because um, when you're not right with God, it affects more than just you. Well, what, what, is this, what does this look like? You say, preacher, I don't, I don't think my sins hurt me, anybody other than me. 
I beg to differ with you. Because your uh, maybe even secret disobedience is affecting your effectiveness. I wonder. Um, I wonder what your family would be like if you were all in. I, boy, I, I'm I'm trying here tonight. Um, not to, to come across in a way that's discouraging. But the honest truth is, is that your lack of a walk with God is affecting your spouse and your kids. You say, I don't have a spouse and I don't have kids. So I'm out on this point of application, right? Wrong. Because if you don't get right with God, if you're wrong with God, now hang on, wait, wait a minute. If you're right with God, keep being right with God. But if you're not right with God, you need tonight to get right with God. Why? Because whether you realize it or not, your choices and decisions are affecting your potential, and that is also affecting the potential of those that are in your future. If you don't get right with God, who will you marry? If you don't get right with God, what will your kids be like? If you don't get right with God, you say, I, I, don't, I don't think this is a big deal. How many people are tonight out of church and their kids are out of church? Because they're out of church. And their kids aren't hearing the gospel. And their kids aren't hearing preaching. All because somewhere in their past, maybe they got upset about how the way that they were handled in this or that. Or somewhere along the way, they began to give in a temptation. And so their choices here are having an impact on the lives of their kids today. I know some folks, just like you do, that 20 years ago were maybe even in some of these children church classes and they were hearing the same thing, but they made choices and now their kids aren't in a place where they're hearing them. Well, that's staggering. That your, your choices have an impact on generations and have, it, have an impact on Sunday school classes and, and, and an impact on bus routes and an impact on church services. You say, no, that's just the leaders. No, listen, it's all of us that our choices have an impact on all of those that are around us. And, and where we fail to see this is that our lack of character, our attitudes and our choices and, and the wrong that we do, it impacts more than just you. It will impact those around you. What if Dave Disney never answered the call to go down to Chile? Would those churches be established? Well, let me ask it this way. What if he gave up while he was in Bible college? What if he said, you know, this thing of going to classes is way too hard. I'm out. Can I remind you tonight that you're here, every one of us, to learn on behalf of others, not just on behalf of ourselves? 
And I thank God that a man like a Dave Disney and others that we'll have in our conference, you know, for the missions conference, that they didn't give up even when it got hard. Hey, I'm just preaching tonight because there may even be some students here tonight that are saying, you know, I'm not going to go to class tomorrow because it's a 7.30 class. It's early. I'm tired. Your decisions are going to affect more than just you. Perhaps some of you as members of the church ought to be teaching Sunday school classes. But you're not or you're not helping out or you're not helping out in a bus route maybe like God really wants you to. Now, if God doesn't touch your heart about that, then don't worry, don't worry about it. Do what God's told you to do. Everybody here ought to be obedient. But I wonder if we're struggling getting workers and we do have a shortage of workers. Is that because God's not calling people or touching people about working and serving? Or could it be that we can get pretty selfish? And you're wasting your potential, but it's not just your potential. It's the potential of those names that could be read from this pulpit that they trusted Christ. He said, man, preacher, you're laying it on hard tonight. We came here and didn't even watch the Super Bowl. I understand that. <laughs> this is important stuff. And your friends... And co-workers will spend eternity in heaven or hell. And I know it's up to God to save them, but He's got you there to talk to them. And if you never talk to them, will they hear the gospel? You say, well, maybe somebody else will share it. Well, maybe so, but maybe God has you there to share Christ with them. If you don't share Christ with them, it could affect their eternity. Uh, you say, man, that, that's, is that true? Is that, that's heavy. It, well, sure, it, sure it is. But, but it, either the Bible is true or it's not. And it is. Amen. And so we got to take the responsibility to share the gospel seriously with our family and friends and coworkers and neighbors. And a lack of obedience or disobedience and lack of repentance limits the potential of those affected by your life. So tonight there's a call that's coming to you that says, listen, you better wake up and realize that your decisions are affecting more than just yourself. It's affecting those around you. And say, dear God, I don't want to limit my sons, my daughters, my friends, my family members. I want to be all in so that I can impact them. I just preached on the life of Jacob in that revival down in Bridgeport, Texas. And in Genesis chapter number 35, Jacob says this, God told us to go to Bethel and we didn't do it. We settled in the land of Shechem. It's time to go to Bethel. And here's what he said. I want you to get rid of all your idols. He knew they had them. And they got rid of them. And they had revival once they got rid of their idols. But there was a, there was a leader of the family that knew they were doing wrong and he wasn't doing what he ought to do about it. And he limited his own potential and he limited the potential of his kids. I wonder if there's leaders here tonight of families that you know what's not right, but you're not dealing with it like you ought to. And I hope that God's used this message to be a reminder to you that it's not just your potential that's wasting here, it's the potential of those around you. 
and stir you up to say, Dear God, help me be on fire. Give me the spirit and attitude of a Jonathan, not the sluggish spiritual life of a Saul. Man, what God could do. Let's stand together here tonight. Just like Israel then, we are now in a situation where we need spiritual leaders. And I'm not just talking about full-time staff or full-time pastors, but we're in a situation where we need spiritual men and ladies that'll say, I'll take my place and do my part. I'm not going to drop out of church. I'm not going to drop out of my role. I'm not going to drop out of serving God. I want to serve the Lord. That'd be the right Right approach here tonight. Get these things right with God, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of others that are being impacted by your life. Dear Father, I come to you tonight and I um, come to a passage like this and I look in the mirror of your word and I see failures in my own life. And I thank you for the way that you remind us of that and you help us, dear God, to get things right with you so that we can be used of you And God, I pray that you would help us tonight to humble ourselves before you to recognize where we're limiting your work even in our own lives. We know that you're unlimited. We know that you're all powerful and yet you've chosen to work with us according to how we respond to you. And so God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Page 451, this is what we ought to do. Just trust and obey. As we sing, Brother Aaron leads us. Would you come on this very first verse?